0: This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Hello, this is Joel Hilliker, managing editor of the Philadelphia Trumpet News Magazine. Today I want to tell a story One of the grandest lessons of history, at least according to Winston Churchill, who knew quite a lot about it, was that the test of greatness is politics and war. Politics and war. He said that the epic trials and challenges of these two arenas test and expose and inspire greatness like no others. World War II was the deadliest war in history and it tested the greatness of millions of men. I want to tell you the story of one of them. He was a shy kid from Virginia, slender, gawky, with a southern drawl. His name was Desmond. Desmond had an unusual love for the Bible. He read from it every day. He did his best to obey it. He tithed 10% of his income. He refused to eat pork and shellfish. And he believed in the sixth commandment Thou shalt not kill. But the world was at war, and he earnestly wanted to serve his country. Yet he refused to pick up a gun. He wanted to help as a medic. He wrote President Franklin D. Roosevelt and received a written assurance, Executive Order Number 8606, that he could serve in the military and not have to bear arms. So he enlisted for basic training. However, rather than the medical department, he was assigned to Company D, U.S. Army 77th Infantry Division, for training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. The first day in the barracks, with all the rough and tumble city boys from New York, he sat on his bed and read his Bible. That night, before going to bed, he knelt by the side of his bunk and prayed. This did not endear him to his fellow enlistees. They ridiculed him, they called him preacher, and they threw shoes at him. His first night, Desmond lay silently in his bunk, his eyes glistening with tears. Within days, the men quickly learned that Desmond got very agitated if they took God's name in vain. So they did it incessantly. They called him Holy Jesus and Holy Joe. When we go into combat, one man told him, you're not coming back alive. I'm going to shoot you myself. Desmond was hardly the first man in history to be Persecuted for his piety. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up, he would have read in Psalm 56. In God I have put my trust, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. It quickly became clear that there had been a mix-up. Desmond had been assigned to a rifle company. The day the men were assigned their rifles, he refused to take a weapon. He referenced his letter from President Roosevelt and said he was a non-combatant. He objected to being called a conscientious objector. He called himself a conscientious cooperator. The supply sergeant was incredulous. What was he supposed to do with a soldier in the infantry who wouldn't touch a rifle? He ordered him to take his weapon. Desmond refused. The platoon sergeant ordered him. He refused. The lieutenant ordered him. He refused. The captain ordered him. He refused. The officers shouted at him threatened him, pleaded with him, cajoled him. He said he had orders from a higher authority, and he wasn't talking about the President of the United States. Untold others of God's people have faced similar pressures. As Psalm 119 says, Let your mercies come also unto me, O Eternal, even your salvation according to your word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproaches me, for I trust in your word. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. After World War I, Congress wrote into military draft law, a special program enabling conscientious objectors to be assigned to the medical department. Desmond cited this provision and finally, after some advocacy by the military chaplain, was placed among the medic, where he belonged. He threw himself into learning his job. While others are taking life, he said, I will be saving life. He made himself the best student and soldier possible, fulfilling his duties and beyond but instead of earning respect from his superiors and peers, Desmond endured constant ridicule thanks to stiff prejudice against conscientious objectors. "'You guys are all alike,' said one sergeant. "'You talk big about religious freedom, "'but when your country needs you to help protect that freedom, "'you chicken out.'" "'That's where you're wrong, sergeant,' Desmond responded. In my church, we're taught to obey government authority, just like the Bible says. You'll never find me failing to salute the flag or trying to get out of a detail. I love this country just as much as you do. Desmond didn't just believe in the sixth commandment. He also believed in the fourth. He was a Sabbatarian. This made him even more unpopular. The military recognized Sunday as the weekly day of rest and of worship. Practically all activities at Fort Jackson stopped Saturday afternoon and resumed Monday morning. On the rare occasions that maneuvers carried through, Sunday services were held in the field. Desmond, though, refused to work from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. This meant he needed to be officially excused from every operation during that time, every week, week after week. His first Sabbath there, the men in his platoon were ordered to scrub the barracks floors. Desmond's superiors ordered him to sit and watch. For his refusal to help, he endured terrible abuse. Because there were no Sabbath services on post, he required a pass every week to travel to town for services. Securing these weekly passes seriously agitated his superiors. Desmond tried to compensate by pulling special duty all day, every Sunday, but this did nothing to assuage the resentment. His seniors and peers were nettled and galled by his habits of Bible reading and prayer, his idleness on the rifle range, and the special privileges he received. You think you're so holy, said one man. Well, when we get in combat, I'm going to shoot you down like a dog. Yet Desmond continued training relentlessly to care for these very men who hated him. He claimed the promise in 1 Peter 3, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. Anyone who obeys God amid Satan's world will suffer for it. We shouldn't fear or even be troubled by that, but should stand our ground and be ready to give an answer with meekness and fear, as that passage in 1 Peter goes on to say. We should expect persecution and take it patiently. Desmond was transferred to a different medical battalion and ended up with the 307th Infantry Regiment. When he arrived, his reputation preceded him, and the ridicule started immediately. However, on a grueling 25-mile march with Company B 1st Battalion, Desmond proved himself by helping soldier after soldier tend to heat exhaustion and painful blisters on their feet. That night, Back at the barracks, as the men lay back exhausted, he knelt by their bunks and treated the feet of the very men who had ridiculed him that morning. This was the point circumstances began to turn around for Desmond. He was fully accepted as a member of Company B. He gained one friend who would work Saturdays for him and for whom he would work Sundays. The whole company began to pull together as a team. Company B was shipped to various locations for training, in deserts and in mountains. By that time, Desmond was married. Wherever his company was training, his wife would move as close as possible. Every week, Desmond asked for leave and somehow found a way to the nearest church where he and his wife could attend Sabbath services together. Desmond's superiors were agitated, but he always stuck to his principles, and somehow it always worked out for him to obey. One day he was informed that his superiors had arranged to discharge him under the terms of Section 8. That referred to mental instability. Soon, Desmond was standing alone before the discharge committee of five medical officers, who thought he was crazy. Why Section 8, he asked. Hasn't my work been satisfactory? Yes, they said, but his missing training one day each week endangered the regiment. You say my work is satisfactory, so the only grounds you have for my discharge is my keeping the Sabbath. I'd be a very poor Christian to accept a discharge implying that I was mentally off purely because of my religion. When I'm called upon to treat my fellow soldiers on the Sabbath, I will do it, and willingly. Sir, please believe me, I know that if I keep God's commandments, he will give me wisdom and understanding equal to those who receive training on his holy day. unflinchingly refusing to compromise, unintimidated before leaders who held his fate in their hands. This has often been required of God's people. You can read about how men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Paul, and so many others had to do so. Even Jesus Christ himself. Impressed by Desmond's resolve... Officials decided to end their efforts to discharge him. But they got rid of him another way. They transferred him back to the infantry. Desmond's new lieutenant refused to accommodate a soldier who wouldn't hold a gun. He placed him on permanent duty in the kitchen, scrubbing pots and pans. Finally, Desmond's father, who was a veteran, intervened on his behalf and convinced his superiors to transfer him back to Company B as a medic. The company concluded its training and received orders to go to battle in the Pacific. Saying goodbye to his family was difficult. He realized he may never see them again. Discouraged, he reached in his pocket and pulled out his Bible. There his wife had marked a Bible passage for him. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. With this promise in mind, Private First Class Desmond T. Doss was off to war. I'm Joel Hilliker, and you're listening to Trumpet Hour. We'll be back in a moment. Of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. This is the story of a young soldier during World War II who kept the Sabbath. He wouldn't do marches or drills on Saturday. And who didn't believe in killing. He wouldn't even pick up a gun. He wanted to serve his country, and he did so by serving as a medic. While others are taking life, he said, I will be saving life. Such principled behavior catches God's eye, even in people in the world. God is no impartial, passive observer. As Psalm 33 says, The Eternal looks from heaven, He beholds all the sons of men, He considers all their works. God considers, discerns, and evaluates all the works of all men. After all, these are potential members of his family. He scatters the seeds of his truth and watches how people respond. He sanctifies some in preparation for a future calling, as you can read in Jude 1. He marks sins that he will later show them in the judgment to bring them to repentance, spoken of in Revelation 20. He notes qualities of character he hopes to later use. He blesses and punishes based on individuals' choices. He protects people or allows Satan to attack them. And all the while, he actively steers events to fulfill his prophecies and purposes. In war, he is especially engaged. Psalm 33 continues, There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength a horse is a vain thing for safety neither shall he deliver any by his great strength no sovereign is saved by his military physical armaments military equipment human strength these do not determine the outcomes of battles god does and he protects those who remember this that psalm goes on behold The eye of the Eternal is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. This is true in any trial. Walk by faith, fear God, hope in His mercy, and God will deliver, even in war. Desmond's platoon was first deployed to Guam to retake that island from the Japanese. Desmond was in particular danger. Japanese soldiers had been instructed to seek out and kill medics in order to damage morale. So the military began arming all its medics. The battalion executive officer ordered Desmond to carry a weapon. When Desmond refused... The officer recommended he be returned to the States. But at the last moment, the commanding officer of B Company interceded, and Desmond stayed. The Japanese had booby-trapped the island with mines, and several men were wounded by them. Soon, fighting erupted, and the calls for medics began multiplying. Under the pressure of real-life combat, Desmond didn't crack. In fact, he leaped into action going into harm's way repeatedly to get to the wounded and to care for them. Under heavy enemy fire, other medics would fall back, leaving wounded men behind. But Desmond refused to abandon a wounded soldier, even at risk to his own life. He was driven to try to save as many lives as possible. In his view, every life counted. Desmond survived, and this shy Virginia kid began to gain a reputation for his reliability in battle and a certain fearlessness. Desmond made it a point to patrol with the 2nd Platoon, an extremely dangerous assignment. Have you lost your mind, one sergeant said. It's not your job to get killed. Your job is to stay alive so that you can help these men when they get hit. If Captain Vernon or anybody else tries to send you on patrol, you tell him it's not your duty. It may not be my duty, but it's what I believe in, Desmond responded. I know these men. They're my buddies. They have families. Some have wives and children. If they're hurt, I want to be there to take care of them. Author Booten Herndon wrote about this in his book Redemption at Hacksaw Ridge Even when they encountered no opposition the patrols were more efficient with Desmond along, he wrote He gave the men confidence Even the bravest soldier has a horror of being wounded and left behind, helpless at the mercy of the enemy for the enemy had no mercy But with him along that fear was alleviated for they knew their medic wouldn't leave them. Every true Christian should seek to build such a reputation. When a fellow Christian soldier suffers trials, he needs support, someone willing to take risks and sacrifice to help him. To fulfill that need is to obey Jesus Christ. And to follow his example. As Christ said in John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. After Guam, Desmond's unit was sent to the Philippines, where they encountered fierce fighting in Leyte. In one instance, conflicting orders were sent out and some men were advancing against a group of Japanese soldiers while others were pulling back. Mortar shells began falling among the machine gunners on the hillside trying to protect the retreat, Herndon wrote. A shell fragment hit one of them in the head. His helmet went flying and blood gushed down into his eyes. Medic! Medic! the cry went up. Most of the company had fallen back, but another medic, a friend of Desmond's, heard the call and responded. Before he could reach him, he was hit by enemy fire. Desmond saw the man drop. He grabbed another medic and rushed to help. It was several hundred yards to the point where the two men had fallen. Only a few yards farther, the jungle began. The Americans had pulled out. The Japanese were most assuredly approaching through the jungle beyond where the men lay. The two medics carefully made their way toward them, staying apart, now diving into a shell hole, now dashing forward again. They each managed to reach one of the fallen men. Desmond found the first who had been wounded. Herndon wrote, Desmond examined the bloody face in front of him. The man had a large gash in his forehead. Blood had flowed into his eyes and dried. He was semi-conscious and moaning. With a dressing and water from his canteen, Desmond began gently wiping the wounded man's forehead and eyes. As the blood and grime came away, the fresh face of a mere youth appeared. The dried blood that covered his eyelids loosened, and the boy opened his eyes. There on the battlefield, with bullets whizzing overhead and Japanese almost on top of them, the boy smiled. His face lighted up like a star shell. I can see. I can see, he whispered. I thought I was blind. For a fleeting moment, Desmond shared his joy. He knew what was behind that smile. The boy had been hit. Then he thought he was blind and left behind to die. Now life opened up for him again. That smile would remain in Desmond's memory as one of his greatest rewards. We who are fighting for God today are engaged in a work of saving lives of those left for dead and restoring sight to the blind. We often receive messages from readers and viewers and listeners who say, I can see. I thought I was blind. I thought I was being left behind. This is what our efforts are for. As Jude 21 through 23 say, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. How gratifying to make a difference, to snatch a life from the fire. Several times, Desmond could have easily been killed. In one case, his troop was advancing across a rice paddy, which was especially dangerous. Because it offered no cover from enemy fire. In such a field, a soldier was hit and cried out for a medic, Herndon wrote. The call passed back to the aid station with the warning that the wounded man was in a dangerous and exposed position. Silence reigned for a long moment. No one wanted to go. Desmond went he made his way toward the man as stealthily as possible. Somewhere in this flooded field, he knew as he crawled through the water and mud was a Japanese with a gun. Desmond could be in those gun sights at any moment. He refused to even think about it. He reached the soldier, a face he'd never seen before, bandaged his wounded leg and dragged him to safety. When he returned, one of his friends came running after him. I expected to see you killed any minute, he said breathlessly. We could all see it from up on the hill. You were crawling right toward that sniper. He had you in his sights for ten yards. The good Lord must have been with you that time. Hearing this, Desmond's knees buckled he sent up a silent prayer of thanks. Similar scenarios played out countless times in the bloody Leyte campaign. As men fell all around him, he remained unhurt. He began to sense he was receiving divine protection, and so did the others. One Bible passage he turned to again and again was Psalm 91, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flies by day. "'A thousand shall fall at your side "'and ten thousand at your right hand, "'but it shall not come near you.'" Desmond took these words literally and clung to them. This inspired confidence that translated into tremendous bravery. After the Leyte campaign ended, Desmond Das was recommended for the Bronze Star, for heroic or meritorious achievement or service. But he was not done yet. I'm Joel Hilliker and you're listening to Trumpet Hour. We'll be back in a moment. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. It was the spring of 1945, and the Americans were advancing toward the Japanese homeland. The closer they approached, the more fierce and barbaric was the desperate enemy's resistance. About 350 miles south of mainland Japan is Okinawa, The largest in a chain of islands that marked the southernmost rim of the Japanese Empire. For the Allies, it was the final stepping stone to Japan itself. The Marine Corps website says the strategic importance of this island cannot be overemphasized. In a time when an invasion of mainland Japan was necessary to end the war, Okinawa, was an essential preparation ground and jumping off point for the impending invasion. A mighty assemblage of American forces converged there. More than 180,000 troops from four army divisions and three marine divisions. They would need every man. More than 100,000 Japanese troops were waiting for them. Tokyo needed time to brace for an American invasion of the home islands, so their strategy at Okinawa was to grind the Americans to a slow, bloody crawl. The Japanese military had extended the island's naturally occurring coral caves into a vast network of well-defended tunnels. This meant the Allies would have to wrench every hill and ridge from well-armed, well-protected men fighting furiously for every foot. The actions of Japan's warriors, who were steeped in a twisted religion of emperor worship, were unimaginably inhumane, merciless, and cruel. One Marine, Eugene B. Sledge of the 1st Marine Division, said Okinawa was... The most ghastly corner of hell I had ever witnessed. Every crater was half full of water, and many of them held a marine corpse. The bodies lay pathetically, just as they had been killed, half submerged in muck and water, rusting weapons still in hand. Swarms of big flies hovered about them. Wherever he looked, Sledge saw maggots, and decay men struggled and fought and bled in an environment so degrading i believed we had been flung into hell's own cesspool god's people fight on a grave spiritual battlefield demonic malevolence is spreading like a shroud over the nations bringing injustice perversity violence and evil and these are only the beginning of sorrows They presage great tribulation. We must do our utmost to fulfill our duty, to help one another, to remain united, and to serve this world by warning of the impending dangers, no matter the abuse, persecution, and reproach it brings. We are trying to save lives. We must care enough to put this world's lives above our own, we must have faith that God will empower us and protect us. A jagged 350-foot ridge runs across most of Okinawa called the Maeda Escarpment. From atop it, the Japanese could monitor the Americans' every move. Desmond's battalion was ordered to take it. The ridge was covered with Japanese positions, camouflaged soldiers waiting in caves, tunnels, holes, and pillboxes. As the Americans charged, enemy machine gun fire was so thick at times that it would cut men in half. Soon the battlefield became 200 yards of mud ponds saturated with blood. After each attempted charge, the Americans had to stack their comrades' corpses as high as they could reach. The men began calling the Maeda Escarpment Hacksaw Ridge. One Japanese pillbox, some distance from the cliff, was shelling American ships. Desmond's unit was tasked with taking it. They created a rope ladder out of cargo nets to scale the cliff. By now, there was no talk of Holy Joe or shooting Desmond like a dog. The men in his unit had come to love him for his courage. Before ascending that cliff, they turned to him and asked him to pray. Then they scaled the cliff and the fighting began. Immediately, the cries of medic began to cut through the noise of the battle, and over the ledge came Desmond into the field of fire, scrambling all over the hilltop to help the wounded. One soldier had his legs blown off. Another medic left him to die, but Doss said, as long as there is life, there is hope. He treated the man's wounds and carried him to safety. That man survived and went on to live a long life. Desmond went back into the action again. And again. And again. Again and again. The bullets missed him, but he saved another man. He kept pushing himself to the point of physical and mental exhaustion. After one engagement, he returned to the bottom of the cliff with a badly injured leg. Herndon wrote, Desmond knew he should evacuate himself and his bad leg back to the battalion aid station. He could do his wounded buddies no good up here if his leg would not permit him to get to them. Yet, he did not go. He was the only medic left, not just of Company B, but of the entire force at the escarpment. A medic with only one leg was better than no medic at all. Saturday came. It was the Sabbath. Desmond wearily ate his breakfast and then sat down to read his Bible. Then from atop the cliff came the familiar cry, Medic! Medic! Herndon wrote, without thinking, Desmond grabbed his aid kits, jumped up and started toward the cliff. His weight fell on his bad leg and it buckled under him. He went down hard. Someone gave him a hand up. "'Oh, Lord, please help me,' Desmond murmured. Again, he put his weight on his bad leg. It held. One step. Two. Then he realized that his bruised and wrenched leg was not paining him a bit. He made it to the top and reached the man. But before they could make it down the cliff the man died. Totally spent, Desmond returned to his Bible study. Again, he was interrupted, this time by his captain. Doss, Captain Vernon said. We have orders to move across the hill and take that pillbox no matter what the cost. I know it's your Sabbath and I know you don't have to go on this mission. But the men would like to have you with them, and so would I. Without hesitating, Desmond responded, I'll go, Captain, but I'd like to finish my Sabbath school lesson first. Here is how Booten Herndon describes this extraordinary moment. Captain Vernon opened his mouth to speak, then closed it again. He studied his company aid man for a moment. Doss's cotton uniform was dark brown and stiff with dried blood, the blood of the men whose lives he had saved and attempted to save. His eyes were sunk deep in their sockets with exhaustion. Vernon knew that he had seriously injured his leg and had nevertheless just gone out under fire to do his best to save a wounded man. How many men had Dos saved since this bloody battle had begun? The captain could not count them. Vernon nodded agreement. We'll wait for you. Captain Vernon did not tell his company aid man that orders for this special mission had come down from the 10th Army to Corps to Division to Regiment to Battalion to Company B. The entire American advance in Okinawa, a line several miles across and involving several divisions, was being held up by this one strong position. From the escarpment, the Japanese dominated the terrain on either side. It could truly be said that the success of the Okinawa campaign rested on this mission. And Captain Vernon delayed it so that one tired Sabbath keeper could read his Bible. In Psalm 91 comes God's response to the man who looks to him for protection. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Desmond finished his study, got to his feet, and the company moved out. It commenced its assault on that pillbox. A few of the men managed to slink right up next to it, and to toss in gasoline cans and white phosphorus grenades. Suddenly, a powerful rumble shook the entire mountain. Inside the tunnels, The grenades had ignited a dump of ammunition. Within moments, smoke began billowing from a hundred holes and crevices all over the escarpment. Then out of those smoldering holes emerged thousands of nightmarish phantoms, panicking, angry Japanese soldiers, running, screaming, firing rifles, and throwing grenades. The Americans had stirred up the mother of all hornets' nests. The soldiers tried to repel the Japanese, but their sheer numbers were overwhelming. They panicked and began to fall back. Facing heavy mortar artillery and machine gun fire, the majority of the battalion retreated back from the Maeda escarpment, leaving dozens of casualties behind to face death or capture at the hands of the Japanese, Herndon wrote. But there was one man who did not retreat. I had these men up there and I shouldn't leave them, said Desmond. They were my buddies. Some of these men had families and they trust me. I didn't feel like I should value my life above my buddies. So I decided to stay with them and take care of as many of them as I could. So that is what he did. Working to evade the eyes of the Japanese, he clambered out onto the battlefield and found a wounded man. Then he dragged him back to the cliff's edge to lower him down, but he lacked enough rope to do it. So he prayed. He asked God to show him what to do. Suddenly it flashed into his mind to make a special sling, wrapping it around a tree as a break and successfully lowering the man to safety. In that way, working alone, the only able-bodied man on the entire hilltop, Desmond lowered one man after another to safety and treatment beneath, Herndon wrote. He was partially protected by the slope and the rock wall, but as it was necessary for him to remain standing during several steps of the complete procedure, his head and shoulders were often exposed. Why did not Japanese bullets seek him out? Again, Desmond accepted it as the beneficent will of his God. While he worked to help one wounded man after another, after another, the Japanese had clear shots at him. One of them was later found and told what had happened. He had Desmond in his sights, but every time he pulled the trigger, his rifle jammed. My story is not about me so much as it is about the God that I serve, Desmond later explained. When I was on the escarpment, after the first few trips on the ground, I stood up while carrying men with no attempt to avoid bullets. I figured if God had protected me on the first few, he might protect me for the rest. I just kept praying, Lord, help me get one more. And after that one, Help me get one more. He kept working. Hour after hour. The sun dropped below the skyline. Darkness settled over the battlefield. In my mind, I felt I'd be killed up on top, but I was at peace with that if that was God's will for me. Lord, help me get one more. He worked on into the night. He lowered a man down, then returned for another who had been left to die. Then another. Lord, help me get one more. He labored until there were no more wounded men to save. He was the last man down. How many men were there? No one counted, Herndon wrote. Only after it was all over and the full immensity of his actions began to sink in through the minds of the men who had witnessed it, did anyone begin to estimate the number. The commanding officer said 155 men had taken part in the assault. After the retreat, when they took a head count at the bottom, only 55 men were still on their feet. The difference, 100 men, was the number they credited Desmond with saving. Desmond insisted it couldn't have been more than 50. It would have been impossible for me to handle any more than that. The captain said, we'll split the difference with you. The official record will state 75 men saved by Private First Class Doss. Desmond had toiled on that ridge rescuing men for 12 straight hours, averaging one life saved every 10 minutes. And amazingly, it turned out that that day the 307th Infantry Regiment of the 77th Infantry Division overtook Hacksaw Ridge for good. The lives Desmond Doss saved that day were only a fraction of those he saved throughout the war. Those men would have died on that battlefield. Instead, they lived. They went on to have children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Perhaps thousands of Americans are alive today because of private first class Desmond T. Doss. How hard will you work to contribute to this effort to save lives? People in this world are crying out, Medic, I need help. How much will you sacrifice? How much will you put yourself in harm's way brave the attacks of the enemy and rely on God to give you strength when all yours is gone in 1 Corinthians 9 the apostle Paul said he made himself servant unto all that I might gain the more I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some we can all do more to save some we can all rely more on God for help to get one more soon this world will be engulfed in the great tribulation men's hearts will fail them for fear as they suffer the Holocaust of war and cry out from captivity will they turn to God The answer in the lives of a great many depends on our work right now. God prophesies that a great multitude which no man could number will repent in the tribulation to receive God's protection. You can read that in Revelation 7. The magnitude of that multitude depends on our efforts today. God's work must provide the instruction that will direct them to repent when that time comes. As Herbert W. Armstrong said, "We of this ministry well know that our real reward in the harvest of precious lives will mostly come after our labors are finished. A marvelous reward awaits them. They will live on as the first generation into the millennium, and their number depends on us. Consider the vast difference between a person who perishes in the tribulation and one who lives through it. Those in that innumerable multitude will become God beings during the millennium. They will be God family members ready to help us during the second resurrection. And not only them, but also their children and grandchildren for a 1,000 years, over 30 generations of descendants. How many people might that be? By conservative calculations of population growth, each head of household at the beginning of the millennium may well produce at least 25,000 heads of household by its end. That means 25,000 families with four to five people. Add up all the descendants of just one person in that innumerable multitude, people who will live during the millennium and after a normal lifespan be transformed into spirit beings by the time of the second resurrection. God's family may have over a million God beings who descended from just one single life saved. Lord, help me get one more. Every life counts, even if you can't see it today. Take on the spirit of this humble young soldier from Virginia who again and again called on God for the strength to go back one more time to get one more. On Okinawa, as on Guam and Leyte, Desmond felt that caring for his buddies, he was under the shadow of the Almighty, wrote Buten Herndon. But even if he was killed, he believed, his death would be in a good cause if it occurred while he was caring for his fellow man, as Jesus Christ had done. Jack Glover, another of his superiors, had at one time tried to expel Desmond from the army for refusing to bear arms. Later, after fighting alongside him, his opinion was very different. He was one of the bravest persons alive, he said. And then, to have him end up saving my life was the irony of the whole thing. After the war, Desmond Doss was awarded the nation's highest honor, the Congressional Medal of Honor. He is the only conscientious objector to ever receive it. In the citation were these words, This soldier, by his unfailing devotion to duty and his gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life, above and beyond the call of duty, has gained the respect, admiration, and affection of the entire division. This honor was established under Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War in 1862. In 1962, living Medal of Honor recipients were invited to a 100-year anniversary celebration at the White House. They chose to be represented at the ceremony by Desmond Doss. On their behalf, Desmond shook the hand of President Kennedy. Doss died March 23, 2006. His funeral was attended by several thousand people, members of every branch of the American military. On the procession to the church, they played Onward Christian Soldiers. We are Christian soldiers in the fiercest, greatest war in history. War is the test of greatness. And the epic trials and challenges of this war will test and expose and inspire greatness in us. We are more than soldiers. We are saviors. As the book of Obadiah says, "...but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and saviors shall come up on Mount Zion." to judge the Mount of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let us devote our whole hearts into fulfilling that exalted calling and finish this life-saving work of God being motivated by the daily prayer, Lord, help me get one more. Joel Hilliker and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour if you liked today's program I'd encourage you to become a subscriber to our Christian Living magazine Royal Vision we produce this magazine six times a year it has many articles with helpful instruction and answering important questions on living a godly life we'd be happy to send you a free subscription you can email me directly at Joel, joelh j-o-e-l-h j-o-e-l-h at the trumpet.com just ask me for a royal vision subscription and you can send me any thoughts on today's program to that email address joel h at the trumpet.com thanks to our technical staff dwight falk and gino chi and i'll leave you with this thought from jesus christ blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of god thank you for joining us on trumpet hour until next time Keep watching your world. You've been listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.